0: Hey, everyone. It is so glad to be here. Thank you for whoever said hello back. Um, There's a lot of exciting stuff going on. I'm really excited for our conversation later today, really excited for Alpha. If you're someone that has questions about Jesus or faith or knows people who do, it's a really great, relaxed environment where essentially we're just sharing, uh, asking questions to one another and listening to uh, what people say Jesus is all about. It's a kind of through videos. And so if you've wanted to know that, it's a great way just to listen, learn, and then to ask all the questions you've thought to ask. So please join for that. We'll continue our series today. I want to share a little bit about um, something that was happening at ECV. Uh, I don't know. It feels, you'll, you'll recognize it, but I think for me it was happening maybe my first five years or so in the community. Um, I was really excited because I saw how God was bringing so many different kinds of people to our church, and I noticed something happening. There were people that were uh, connected to a country of origin, like second or third generation. Their grandparents might have been born there. Their parents might have had an immigrant journey, and they were right, you know, smack dab in a, okay, what's my story now? And there were so many people that were coming from that background You know, some of the folks that I was friends with, they had family that lived in Nigeria. They had family that lived in Ethiopia. Uh, I actually came from a church like this, an Asian American church, where there are people from so many different, uh, you know, countries of origin. Korea, Japan, uh, China. And they were wondering, well, what's my story? Like, I know a little bit about what my grandparents' story is. I definitely know my parents' story. They told me that a lot. A lot of stories about, you know, what they went through. But what's my story? And I remember uh, seeing those people... Uh, kind of come into our community. Now, as someone who's black American, I didn't really connect or relate like, to the T. Like that story of having a grandparent know where they're from, well, that's just not true for someone like me who's descended from slaves in Africa. Like my grandparents have a culture, and I knew that culture real well, but they didn't really know like, where were they from uh, originally, where were they from on the continent. And so this was a different thing. But I saw folk getting so excited about Jesus, so excited about being with one another. And those people, they came to ECV and many met Jesus, some for the first time. Jesus seemed to be able to find them exactly where they were. Didn't matter if they didn't have a sense of, okay, could I go back to my homeland? Some of them, you know, did. They're like, I wasn't recognized there. Maybe it was a language thing. Maybe it was something else. They're like, that's weird. But then here, I'm not always feeling like I'm the majority either. Like, people get me. But somehow, Jesus did. And they formed a little community in our community, ECV, and I felt there was such welcome for them, such hope, such connection. So being me, I was asking bigger questions about this. God, what else are you doing here? Like, what else is going on? And so there's a, a person named Dr. Jonathan Bonk. Some of you guys might know him, remember him. We used to have something in our city called the Overseas Mission Study Center. And I remember asking him this question. He's a, a white uh, person that uh, was born in Ethiopia, was raised there uh, from a missionary family. And I was like, hey, this thing is happening in our community. It's almost like there's like a community of communities kind of emerging. And people are getting excited about Jesus. There's people that didn't even know about Jesus, but because they were also Ethiopian or also Korean American, like, they came in and they're saying yes. And I was like, can you tell me what's like, going on? Like, is there something we should like, be doing? Like, should we like, highlight this? Because it seems like people are kind of getting comfortable in this new sort of second, third gen way of following Jesus in a multi-ethnic community. I was like, tell me more about what I should do. And he was like, hold up. No, like, actually hold up. Because it seems like you're getting excited that a community is becoming familiar, a community is becoming comfortable, and the community is kind of feeling like, oh, like I I had these ways of feeling different, but I'm kind of seeing God resolve them in this fellowship. And and he said something to me that was so interesting. Uh, He said the question of family... You know, building family, that question of family is a kingdom question. The question of family is a kingdom question. He said, I'm not sure if you should get so excited about so many people growing comfortable so fast. And I was like, but, but wait, isn't that a good thing? And he was like, there's something about what folk have went through being uncomfortable. There's something about what people just experienced of feeling dislocated, but Jesus being what makes them feel comfortable or feel located. He's like, don't lose that. Don't rob people of that. Don't just create like another club that's like this kind of Christian club. If there's resilience that's being built, if there's connection that's being built, just actually rock with that. He didn't say it that way. And I was so like sobered because I was so excited about this kind of like new thing. And he said, no, the new thing is the old thing. The new thing is the old thing. People are uncomfortable, maybe even uh, feeling like there's disruption or interruption. But that's a way that some people can be known. Call that the kingdom, and have people pursue more of that, even as they still enjoy each other and connect with each other, but you don't need to do more here. The Spirit's doing enough. I kind of back off from it. It's like, wow, I, that was a, a certain kind of meeting. I was, it was exciting, expecting to get excited but instead I felt like a little bit chastised in a good way, like told to look into the kingdom, to look into what family really means. Don't get comfortable with just like a new nation, a new group which is formed of second, third-gen immigrants. You haven't arrived there. Instead, let people be comfortable experiencing part of God's kingdom, but using their existing uh, discomfort and the skills they're you know, getting to lean into more kingdom discomfort, even as they enjoy what God's doing. I think somewhere we all know the radical vision is counter-cultural family that doesn't look like this world. I think somewhere we all know that, that the radical vision of family, it's countercultural and it doesn't look like this world. But who wants to start first? Who wants to go first? Who wants to invite the potential betrayer or the actual one? into fellowship? Who wants to befriend the canceled or the one who could cancel you? Who wants to touch the sinner? Maybe that changes who the sinner is depending on which communities you're in, who you're with, maybe how you're feeling that day. Who wants to take risks to ruin reputation, to lose livelihood, damaging your relationship maybe with a holy God, making your faith life have way more drama than it would otherwise? just because you're trying to pursue this countercultural, radical idea of family. Now, it's funny when I talk to people about this, because some people that have, like, they love their biological family, there's a lot of good stuff, they're like, yeah, this is hard. And other people are like, actually, I'm ready for the trade. Like, let's go. Like, this is like, it's been messy. But either way, this is a tough thing. Because we're not just talking about biological family, we're talking about the folk you feel most connected to, most loyal to, Are you ready to change that up for family as Jesus defines it? You know, if warmed is all about getting warm before or as you share that warmth with others, this week can feel a little bit different than the previous two of uh, love and home. You know, when we're talking about love, it's experiencing more love and then out of that giving it away. We're talking about home Uh, you know, God's beautiful creation itself, we can experience that and then share that with others in frozen January. Uh, I could call people out. I'm not going to. All I'll say is there's some people that have done some great work because they, like, are doing a lot of outside things this week. Some of them were like, I'm going, like, skiing. I'm doing this stuff. Maybe a group of them maybe said they could do it all on Sunday and then still be at church. I I don't know. Maybe they they did it. Maybe they didn't. But a lot of people were taking us up on this. That was really cool to see. But what about this one, though? It's not love. It's not home. It's family. How do we do that one? How do we experience that and then give it away? Well, the hint is it has to start with God. It has to start with God. We have to be filled with this parental blessing from God to be the siblings that we need, <clears throat> uh, we need to be for those around us. Put simply, we have a heavenly father who wants us to receive everything, including our kingdom identity from him, so we can be people in the church for one another, people full of grace and truth to a world who needs family. I think we need that first to be the family we need to be. Does that make sense? We need to experience like something from God, something from this parent who actually says that. Like, that's who he is, a heavenly father to us. I think we need an experience of that kind of identity, that kind of connection, that kind of love for us to be any good to one another, to be family to one another. That's what we need to feast off of to get ready for what is truly hard work. Who models that before uh, better than anyone else who ever lived? This is where if we were you know, downstairs in Sprouts, we'd all know what to do. You shout out the answer, Jesus! Let's go. It's just true, though. Like, he is the one who models this better than anyone else who ever walked this earth. Jesus. Jesus knows he's family with God, but he also is giving family away. Remember, we talked about these different categories. Giving family away to church, to neighbors, to strangers, and yes, even his enemies. So, let's ask Jesus to guide us today and to lead us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, <clears throat> would you be here? Would you guide us? Jesus, would you be the one who's guiding us to the Father, guiding us to uh, all the good things? Jesus, we need you to be our leader, to come. One of the things I love that we can do is we can just say yes to Jesus. It will mean something, so it's a risk. But I just wonder today if we can say in your heart, you can whisper it, you can, I guess, shout it if you wanted to, (laughs) but just say yes if you want to. Yes to Jesus, to who he is, to what he has. Today, but also more than today. Let's start today by saying yes, and also honoring and celebrating the one who said yes in such a costly way. Jesus, we thank you for that. Amen. So the setup for today is going to be asking just some simple questions. It's kind of like the who, you know, what, with whom, how, why. Like, who is, who does Jesus say family is? You know, what is that family to Jesus? You know, who actually is included in that? How do we do that, and why? That's what we're going to do together. So, let's look. we're just gonna walk through these questions. Has anyone seen the meme, uh, you know, how it started and then how it's going? So we're gonna kinda of pick up with Jesus uh, in that framework as we think about who is Jesus when it comes to family. You know how it started. It's a scene at baptism. And we're going to kind of pick up from his ministry and how it's going. So we won't take you through the history of the church and all these things and right now let's just stick to this script. We're going to read a lot from the gospels today. This is Matthew 3:16 through 17 and then John 5:19. And when Jesus had been baptized just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. You know, you might guess it from the early chapter, but I always love talking about this one. Like, this is the beginning of the beginning, right? There's not a lot that Jesus has done before this. This is the start of a ministry. It's not the end. A lot of us come from backgrounds, parenting culture, schools, where getting the, I am pleased, I don't want to hurt anyone, but... For some of us, it still hasn't come, just be honest. And for others of us, it came through hard work and achievement. Like you did something, and it was like really good, and someone said, I'm pleased with you. God, Jesus' Heavenly Father, started the ministry that way. Hey, you chose to get baptized. That's awesome. I'm pleased. Here's my spirit. I'm going to pour it out on you. That's how it started how it's going for Jesus as he goes into his ministry is this. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. It seems like there was something about that initial burst of identity, that initial burst of acceptance and saying, yes, that made Jesus to say, I think I just want to do what my father does. Like, if he already accepted me, blessed me, called me, I think I just want to stick with him. That's it. That's all it is. I want to stay with my Father. I want to stay in step. That's all I'm doing. The movement of churches we belong to, the Vineyard, they love this passage. And that's the thing that's animated them to say, what if we try to do that? Again, the emphasis on try. We haven't gotten that right. I think Jesus did. But, you know, we, we, we don't. But it's this aspiration. What if we could be close to our Heavenly Father and do what He's doing? That's who He is. And that helps us know how He's going to pursue family, and what family is to Jesus. I love this passage. Um, honestly, just because of how Jesus is messing with people, I kind of like that about the Gospels. This is later in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus uh, is here speaking to crowds, and here's what it says. While he was speak, still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers—actually his mother, actually his brothers—were standing outside when, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. Now, I don't know who's, like, talking to Jesus, like, being like, hey, your parents are there, you, your brother, like, come on. Like, who's, like, teaching Jesus how to respect his own family? That's a little bit, you know, he's kind of stepping to Jesus. So I think Jesus maybe is in a certain kind of mood, right? So Jesus replies and says, uh, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, I don't think any of his disciples looked like his mom. I, I don't think that's true, right? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, Forever whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And we see here Jesus redefining family in maybe, like, the most explicit way you can. It's like, actually, your family here. Like, he's not, like, they're not pretend somewhere else. Like, they're actually there. He's like, nope, not them. Or, like, not just them, right? It's also in that he's pointing you all. These 12 disciples that are apparently mother, brothers, sisters, family. And it's defined by, thankfully, not just perfect obedience, because we know the disciples didn't do that, right? Maybe some scripture readers like, they weren't perfectly obedient. But what did they do? They moved in the direction of Jesus. They moved towards Jesus. They tried. That's family. Trying to follow Jesus. Being close. Being intimate. Hearing words. And not just saying, thanks. But asking questions doing it, being family together. And we can ask the question, you know, how does this work? <laughs> that's a great one. Like, so that's who family is. And it seems like obedience, following, closeness has a lot to do with it. But how do you walk that out? You know, we did this series called Empowered, and we looked at some of the ministry of Jesus, and we saw some incredible things, both in the scriptures, but also as we try to do this out as ECV, Healing was one of the things, right? Emotional healing, spiritual healing, uh, physical healing. Also, deliverance. Uh, these crazy signs and wonders, like speaking in tongues. Like, that's part of the ministry. But as I've gotten older, as I've tried to kind of spent more time in Scripture, I think those things are all signposts to this otherworldly kingdom where the bread and butter is actually regular stuff, but it's regular stuff that we have a really hard time doing, like connecting with people that we wouldn't otherwise connect with. I think some of you, especially maybe if you are either from a charismatic background or have been in ECV long enough, even if you don't know what that word means, you're like, "What? Well, I guess I've seen some healings or prayed for some people. Like, if you've been around that stuff enough, you know, it's actually easier sometimes to see God do a miracle like that than for you to pursue your own miracle of forgiving someone that's really hurt you, than spending time with the poor, giving selflessly and generously, you realize actually there's a gift in just, like, how the Holy Spirit immediately can do something in a way that you're like, I've tried to immediately do a lot of things, and it's not working. Thank you, God, for some freebies, right? And one of the things that I love in the the story of the Gospels is that's actually baked in to just who is following Jesus, this kind of conflict. You kind of have to look at the Scriptures to see it. These are two lists in Matthew and Luke of the Disciples, just like a list of the Twelve. And sometimes if you're just reading it, you don't really notice here what's happening. I hope my three question marks, sophisticated way of communicating, right, are going to illustrate what we want to talk about here. Tax collectors, question mark, question mark, question mark. And zealots, question mark, question mark, question mark. The reason why I'm doing that is because we see here that Matthew, the tax collector, is listed as one of the disciples. And then later in Luke, it says Simon, not Simon who's Peter, but another Simon was called the zealot. Let me just give you a hint of something that you probably are assuming right now. Those two groups don't get along. They don't. Now, I uh, once got uh, kind of schooled in uh, the New Testament by a Bible scholar that did ministry with the poor. Uh, they did ministry with folks in jail. And he was basically like, when I teach them this passage, I can't just say tax collectors, because everyone thinks, like, somehow Matthew is like an IRS letter. Like, he's a person, not a letter, right? But they're like, is he just a, a, like a buttoned-up collector. No. He's like, I have to say tax collector is gangster, because these people are coming to your house. They're coming to your place of work. They're just actually coming for you to get the money that you need to give them. And are they giving it back to good purposes? Is it building the roads? No. This is completely extortion, right? Some might be going to Rome, but a lot is going to their pockets, right? These are people who are despised, hated, treated horribly, others because of course we can. They're the wrong kind of person. They're doing the wrong thing. Why would someone be a tax collector when we know that this people group is oppressed already and now you're taking our money? One of them followed Jesus. Now what about the zealot? The zealots are revolutionaries, people that wanted Rome to be overthrown. And when there was talk of a messiah or someone that was a leader that could do something big for the people, they knew exactly what that meant. Rome's going down in a day, baby. That's what they want in their hearts, to change the government, to change the environment. Now usually, when we hear that, what do we usually think? Simon has a group of zealots. Matthew has a group of tax collectors. And they don't mix. Or if they're trying to mix, we get like the West Side Story images, the snaps. I can't snap when I have a mic in my hand. I guess it's what the Britney Spears mic is for. Dang it. But there's a way that we can see that these people should be in two groups. I guess they are in two groups. And yet Jesus, who spent some time on the mountain to pray, he hears otherwise. He says, part of me leading disciples, part of me making family, is to include both of these folk as they follow Jesus together. That's why I said this is, this is a hard teaching, right? It's a teaching about family. This is who Jesus is family to. Now there's a question, what happens when these risks start not to work out? Ooh, gotta go faster. <laughs> we see here a famous passage about dealing with sin. It's basically, take this issue here to some witnesses, take it even more to others, and then the end is, if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And it's almost like, that's the worst thing ever, right? Gentiles are the wrong kind of person. Tax collectors, Josh just said they're gangsters. But it turns out Jesus flips it on its head because in the kingdom, those are pursued. It turns out when you break the rules of family, you actually just get back in line for being someone who's pursued by God. Pursued by Jesus. Now, this is costly for us, because we all have a kind of person that we've been told isn't the right kind of person. Whether that's on schemas of race, on gender, of sexuality, just who a person is. And part of what happens when you see this is to say, actually, this is about like, people who are doing the wrong thing. Like, Gentile and tax collector or that. This is actually about people who are doing the wrong thing. And even in this model, those people are still in line to be loved, to be seen, to be cared for. A ministry that we were learning from a staff this past uh, fall, Kaleidoscope, which is ministry to uh, the LGBT community in, in New York and uh, kind of the greater New York area, they love this passage. They say, why would anyone be comfortable doing something like kicking someone out of your family? Because actually, even if you're reading through this passage, through this lens, People are just in line to be loved, to be cared for, to be seen. It was kind of a a revolutionary thing they were saying. We try to teach this, like this passage for folks that are so filled with just something where they're not seen right, even to their own family member, biological family, to flip it and say, no, even if it was like this, they're still in line to be loved. What does it mean that family is about obedience? That family is about being connected, being close. And when we break on that, even then, we still are in line. Because Jesus, thankfully, treats us even better than tax collectors and Gentiles, even though his treatment of them is pretty good. There's something about Jesus where he changes uh, all of this. Now, one big last point that I'm going to have to do pretty fast. How does this work? There's one word really for it, forgiveness. This is actually what it's all about, forgiveness. And as I grow older, I, I really have a sense, when I see Jesus include Judas, include Peter, knowing what was going on, one of the national directors of the vineyard, I love what he says. he's like, Jesus let, he let it play out. He knew, but he let it play out. I was like, wow, what a good way of saying it because there's forgiveness for Jesus at the end of the day. In a musical I could name but many will already know, Hamilton, right? There's this line, "Forgiveness. Can you imagine?" And I want us to do this exercise like, "Can you imagine? Can you imagine someone like President Biden publicly forgiving Donald Trump?" Can you imagine Donald Trump publicly forgiving Joe Biden? Some of you are snickering and laughing a little bit. Can you imagine Putin recognizing wrongdoing and going to Zelensky and saying, "I'm sorry," and Zelensky receiving that as a public apology? Can you imagine horrific folk that did horrible acts in Israel through terrorism saying, "You know what? We've actually realized something. We're so sorry for what we did." And then can you imagine Nanyahu saying, "There's 20 more than 20,000 killed." And expressing forgiveness. Can you imagine any of that? Can you? Or does that almost seem like a comical play? Can you imagine that? Sometimes I fear that us in this room, that Christians in general, we take our pulse, we take our ability to forgive from our answer to questions like that, where we say, because we can't imagine, well, clearly we can't forgive as if our forgiveness comes from those situations, as opposed to a person lying on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Instead of looking at the cross of Calvary and seeing a man that carried all the sins of the world, yours and mine, red and blue, any kind of difference, they're all there. And somehow, I think we don't often look at that person and say, that's where I get my cues from forgiveness. Instead, we look at Who would never forgive? And we say, well, then, do I have to do it either? And I wonder where and why we're taking our cues from. That same musical says this. There are moments that the words don't reach. There's a grace too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand. We push away the unimaginable. And I think in our day, sometimes forgiveness, even common forgiveness, is unimaginable for us to think about. Forgiveness is the how and the why. We were forgiven, now we can forgive others. It's the way that family can stay together. Obviously, it would just break up otherwise. Because we just say, well, family's about obedience. Well, you're not helping, you're not doing this. And we'd be fractured. Forgiveness brings us back together. Jesus says this on the cross, or Jesus says this uh, early in his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. This isn't someone that just walks, uh, that just talks a talk, right, in a famous sermon. But in the most painful moment, a time where most of us would think Jesus clearly justified to walk away. He says then, forgive them. He's saying, he's proclaiming, but he's also demonstrating powerfully, will this just be Jesus' path, or will this be our own? Does our imagination for what forgiveness looks like come from this old rugged cross on Calvary, or does it come from our last time that it went really poorly? Does it come from looking at other people and be like, well, they're not doing it? Does it come from some of those earlier examples I said, and just, it feels like we don't live in a world of forgiveness? You've got to honestly answer that question. Where is your motivation to forgive? Remember, maybe we have to experience something first before we give it to others. Jesus on the cross forgiving us is who we need. Jesus resurrected out of that tomb is who we need. Jesus with Peter reinstating him through love is who we need. One of my most meaningful stories was being randomly in London at a vineyard church No one knew me from anyone. I was, like, one year into the vineyard, just randomly was there. And I got prayer, like, you'll have an opportunity to do in a little bit. And this person said, Josh, were you bullied in school? I hadn't told them my story. They didn't know. And some of you know, the answer is yes. And I was like, I was. Like, how did you know that? I was, like, not on the upkeep of, like, it's a prophetic word. Like, they're hearing something from the Lord. And they're like, I just feel like the Lord is saying right now, like, he's so Sorry that you had to go through that. Now, I might have been 25, 24, and I thought I went through some things I'd already felt good. I broke down weeping because I didn't know that Jesus could be that kind. I didn't know that Jesus could say things like, sorry. I didn't know that God could pull us close and have compassion on us for the wrongs that people have actually given to us. And if God's willing to do that, knowing that he didn't sin, he didn't cause that, how could we withhold that from others? How could we not be people who yearn for forgiveness? That experience marked me. It changed my life because I felt, again, Jesus, I don't, I don't need that. And I felt like Jesus says, I don't care what you think you need. I'm going to give that to you. The Father saying, I'm going to give you that experience of being washed, of being cleansed. We can give that to one another as family through forgiveness, and I think that's the only way it works. We don't need to, you know, have a multi-ethnic kingdom that has a cool look and feel, like the right kinds of people sitting next to each other on, like, ECV's glossy website. We don't need that. We don't need to be similar to the point where we feel like, is that what saves us? Is that why we get along? We don't need to be brave or diverse, saved by our own courageous actions or, you know, how much our makeup looks like whatever we want it to be. That's not what we need. We need Jesus. Not a statue, not a cross we wear, not a name just on our lips, but we need Jesus who's a savior, the one that saved us from our wretched sins, the one that called us out and said, we're lovely, we're beautiful, we're his. Jesus has a savior that can help us actually study war no more, to be a person of peace. Our way through isn't getting this right. Family doesn't come by getting it right. It's by trying, stumbling forward, giving and receiving forgiveness. It's through forgiveness. More than anything, we need to model this forgiveness that flows from us, knowing that Jesus' act to save us, to restore us, to get us back to him and, and our Father, it's pure gift. It's utter mercy. It's completely undeserved. When we understand that comes from God, I think we actually have a little bit better chance to let it go to open it up to others, when we're aware just how special of a gift it is, then we can freely give it away. And of course, forgiveness doesn't say the wrong done to you is okay. It says my heavenly Father still loves you. I'm going to release my judgment of your wrong back to you, back to the Father who will love and discipline you in ways I don't know how to. I'll release my hurt to God and let God be the judge. Be forgiven in Jesus' name. This is how we can receive family. This is how we can give it away. Yes, we receive it at a cost, but it's also the cost of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We give it away at a cost, our own pride, our self-righteousness, our reputation. Jesus lays these things down to forgive us. I think we need to lay them down to forgive others. It's a sacred process. We can't be rushed into it. We can't be forced to do it but we can receive something from Jesus, his love, his home, him being family to us, and then see if that does enough work in us to give it away. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to just run through. There'll be a few slides I didn't get to. We're going to have a, a time of invitation and response prayer. It'll be a little bit different. The invitations I'll just give real quick. The first is to uh, address God as a loving parent in prayer. For some of you, this might feel old hat, but for others of you, it might be new. But I also put here, be God's kid as you pray. Sometimes we say, Father, can I? We realize that our prayer doesn't reflect being a kid. It doesn't reflect kind of depending on God. It doesn't reflect that kind of humility we need. So address God as a loving parent and also be God's kid Second thing is to receive forgiveness from God. I don't know what you feel heavy about, what you need from God, but my sense is that we all need more forgiveness. So ask God to forgive you. And then lastly, forgive someone. Someone that's hurt you, someone that's wronged you. Step out and forgive. Uh, We're going to do response in uh, sort of a a different way. We're gonna uh, have a, a song next. And it's a a song that's a new song, and we really want you to listen to it, to listen to the words. And as you're moved, uh, and as you're feeling uh, God's presence, that's our our hope, I'm going to pray for God's spirit to come. Uh, We want you to come forward to receive prayer. Uh, If there's something that you know in this message for forgiveness, for needing to experience the nearness of God, we just want you to recognize that just by simply standing up and moving forward. that's where you are in a second, you're like, I don't need the song for that. You can come. But I think there's something about the words of this song that uh, can help us receive something that then we can give away. And then we'll have a time to uh, have additional words and more prayer. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Come and be with us. Be the God that makes forgiveness possible. It's such a hard thing. It's so difficult. Make it possible, God, through your spirit. Would you uh, let us be joyous and delightful at the thought of you moving in our hearts this way? God, I pray you give people courage to respond, um, ability to recognize what God's doing in them. God, thank you that you can come and be with us here. In Jesus' name. So as you feel led, feel free just to pop to your feet and to come to the front. Uh, Some of us know we need forgiveness. Some of us know we need the courage to forgive others. Just come. You can do it now. You can do it uh, as you feel it during the song. You can do it afterwards. But it's just a way we're going to respond to God in prayer today. And then uh, different ones of us will pray. It's just a way to say, I'm here and I want something from you, God. I'm here, Father. Let's sing together.